Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome again to this Advent season for Christmas. It certainly is one of my favorite times of the year, although I am not so much a fan of the cold as I used to be. But I do like the, uh, the beauty that a snow-covered landscape and trees will make, especially when it's one of those wet snows and it really like sticks to every branch, every twig. It's just, it's just beautiful. This is a, a wet, snowy view out the back of our dining room windows. We actually turned that into a 500-piece puzzle that I got to tell you was really hard to put together. So much of that stuff looks the same. I'm already thinking past the holidays and wondering what the winter months of January, February, and March will be like. Last year, I convinced my wife that it was going to be a snowy winter, and we should invest in a snowplow for my tractor. She gave me that look that says, you need another toy? I said, yes, yes I do need a new toy. And after several, I, you know, this is one of those deals you have to work up to it. You have to plant the seed and then come back and ask again and, and ask again. And, and lo and behold, I got my new toy. That, there you go. That I didn't get to play with last year because it was a bust in terms of snow. We got nothing. So this year I'm hoping for some snow. But I'm not the only one with trouble predicting the weather. The weather folks, of course, never seem to want to commit to any prediction for how much snow we might have in any year, much less this one. No one seems to have a clue. I heard that the chief of the Native American tribes up in the Great Lakes area was asked by his tribal elders if it was going to be a cold or mild winter. So the chief turned to his tribal naturalist or what would have been called a medicine man but unfortunately he had lost touch with the old ways of of reading the signs from nature from the natural world so the chief decided to take a much more modern approach and he, he rang up the weather service in Gaylord Michigan yes it's going to be a cold winter the meteorologist officer told the chief well that was a safe bet after all we're talking about Michigan they get all of the lake effect snow Consequently, he went back to his tribe and told the men to collect plenty of firewood. Two weeks later, the chief called for an update. He said, are you still forecasting a cold winter? Yes, very cold, the weather officer told him. And as a result of that brief conversation, he went back to the tribal leaders and he said, y'all need to collect all the wood that you can find. A month later, the chief called the National Weather Service one more time and asked about the coming winter. Yes, he was told, it is going to be one of the coldest winters we have ever had. How can you be so sure, the chief asked. He said, replied the weatherman, because the Native Americans of the Great Lakes are gathering wood like crazy. You can see, so it's a circular reasoning of how to predict the weather. Well, let's pray and, and we'll see what this season has for us. Before we do, I want to remind you, if you missed a message, any message, you can always go to FFC sermons.org, listen again, download, create a podcast. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the live tab and watch a previous message on either YouTube or Facebook. Let's pray and see what God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence, that we can meet you anywhere. We can meet you on the street of hope. We can meet you on the street of light, of joy, of happiness, 
Father, we thank you that you come to meet us where we are and that you sent your Son where we are so that you could bring hope and joy and light and peace into this world. Father, we ask for your presence with us this morning as we open up your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All my life, I've heard about the three wise men of Christmas. We even sang a carol this morning. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Funny, but the Bible doesn't actually say how many wise men there were. And they didn't come at Jesus' birth, but sometime after and certainly before the age of two. I wonder if this event was happening today, I wonder what they'd bring. If they were traveling from afar, would it still be gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Perhaps today it might be an iPhone 15, <laughs> gift cards, and Bitcoin. How our priorities have changed. Clearly, if they were wise men, one of them would have brought chocolate, right? Or pampers. Clearly, they had no children. And of course, in our current economy, it might be better to have gold, frankincense, and food stamps with the, the price of where food has gone. Of course, in the height of COVID, perhaps it would have been Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Madeira. I think Johnson & Johnson must have stopped in the desert for a, a bathroom break and got lost. This year, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about the three wise women of Christmas. If there had truly been three wise men, this is what they would have been saying. I think women are truly the smarter sex, going from left to right. Women should be in charge of everything. We're lucky women even put up with us. <laughs> well, maybe you've never realized that there were three wise women. There were. One of them was married, one of them was single, and one of them was widowed. The first was named Elizabeth. The second was named Mary and the third was named Anna. Every one of these three wise women faced a major obstacle in their life. Each was at the corner of hope and despair. Elizabeth faced major disappointments. She was old and unable to bear a child. She had been childless her entire life. Mary had to face a major change. She's pregnant and she's single. How is she going to explain that? And Anna had lost the love of her life her husband, just a few years into marriage, and shows she has to deal with that loss. So disappointment and change and loss were the three things that these wise women had to deal with. But they all overcame each of those obstacles because they were wise, because they held on to the hope of the one who is faithful. Elizabeth overcame resentment and bitterness. Mary overcame her fears, and Anna overcame her grief and pain because they all made wise decisions. So how do you know when someone is wise? How do you know when someone is really wise or not? Well, by looking at the decisions that they make and have made. Wise people make wise decisions. Foolish people make foolish decisions. Unwise people make unwise decisions. If I want to know if you are wise, if you are truly a wise man or woman, all I got to do is say, tell me about the decisions that you've made in your life. Because your decisions reveal whether you are wise or not. The Bible says this about the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. He was the king of Israel because God gave him wisdom. 
Because when God said to Solomon, I'll give you anything that you asked for, he didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for comfort. He said, God, I want you to make me wise. And he became the wisest man in the world. The Bible says this of Solomon. Word of the king's decision spread quickly throughout the entire nation. And all the people were awed as they realized the great wisdom that God had given him. Now, if you're wondering what that decision was, well, you're going to have to go back and read 1 Kings 3 on your own. I'll give you a hint. It has to do with cutting a live baby in half. Now, if that sparks your curiosity, go back and read the story and see what happened. What I want to do right now is I want to look at the three decisions that these wise women made. Because if you want to be a wise woman or a wise man, you need to make these same decisions today and for the rest of your life. We're going to start with the first wise woman. First wise woman of Christmas is Elizabeth. We find her story in Luke chapter 1. And we will find Mary's story also in Luke chapter 1. And we will find Anna's story in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This is what God says about them. Their lives pleased God because they always did everything that God commanded. And they lived with a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both now very old. Now in these few verses we learn a couple things about this first wise woman. We learn that Elizabeth was a strong godly woman. She was a woman of God. I would love for my gravestone to read his life pleased God, and more importantly for that to actually be true. This is what it means to be a godly woman or a godly man. Your life pleases God. Not in man's eyes, but what it says there in verse 7, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. That's the highest compliment you could hope to receive after a life lived. There's nothing better than that. Would God say, when God says that you are righteous, you are truly righteous. And I want to be one of those righteous dudes. I don't know about you, but I want to be righteous. I want God to say that of me. The Bible says that she was dedicated, always observing God's commands. So we know that she was a wise woman. But the second thing we learn is that she was carrying a lifelong heartbreak, a lifelong hurt. The Bible says in verse 7 that they had no children. Maybe you can identify with her hurt. You've always wanted to be a mother or a father, and that just hasn't happened in your life. The Bible says that Elizabeth was pleasing to God. She did everything right. She was a woman of integrity. But the heart, hurt and heartbreak in her heart is the greatest prayer that had not been answered. And this means that Elizabeth had every opportunity, every temptation to get bitter. She had every temptation, every reason to be resentful against God. She could have easily said, you know, God, I have served you all my life. I have lived for you. I have always done what's right. I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to honor you and worship you. And yet you haven't answered my biggest prayer. If you want some insights into the ups and downs of what that can look like, read Psalm 31. Brian Kowalczyk did an excellent job of walking our house church through this psalm last Thursday night. We've been musing our way through the psalms, and we're in the first book of psalms, the first 41 Psalm 31 is a psalm of lament. David is pouring out his heart to God. Rescue me, he is saying. He calls on God to be faithful to his promise. Elizabeth could have been crying out, I want a baby. That's all I want. 
Now this is a great temptation to be hurt and to be bitter and to be resentful. To be barren in her day was not only a personal sadness, it was a cultural embarrassment and even shame. What has happened to you? What did you do to deserve this? People can be harsh, harsh and hurtful. David in Psalm 31 says this, he says, because of all my troubles, my enemies hate me and even my neighbors look down on me. When my friends see me, they are afraid and run. I am like a piece of broken pot. I am forgotten as if I were dead. I have heard many insults. They could probably think about something, uh, or you could probably think about something in your own life that you prayed a lot about that just hasn't happened yet. Here's the thing. You can be bitter or you can be better. You can trust God or you can get mad at God. And Elizabeth in her wisdom did not get mad at God. She chose to trust God. The point I want to make here is that living for God does not mean that you are going to have a hurt-free life. God never said that everything is going to go the way you want, especially in this fallen world. The weather doesn't work perfectly. Economy doesn't work perfectly. Your relationships don't work perfectly. Your body doesn't work perfectly. The older I get, the more my body seems to break down. Things are just broken and breaking down. Both my wife and I wake up at almost the exact same time in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. just to get up and pee. We never had to do that when we were younger call us one of us was sure to be up 2 a.m living for christ does not guarantee a pain-free life in fact jesus said just the opposite if you follow me like elizabeth did he said i've told you all of this so that you will have peace of heart and mind here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows but cheer up for i have overcome the world not might not could happen it says you will have trouble so we shouldn't be surprised when things don't go our way. Elizabeth had wanted a baby all her life until one day her husband, Zechariah was chosen to enter the temple of God to do priestly duties. He was a priest. And while he was inside the temple praying, an angel appeared to Zechariah, just about scared him to death. I bet he had to go home and change his loincloth. A UPS, a UPS truck driver stopped at my house to deliver a package. I heard the truck coming, so I went down to meet it. The driver was outside the truck, reaching in for the package when I walked up behind him, only he didn't hear me, and I'm standing like right behind him. He turned around, threw the package, grabbed his heart, and fell back into the truck. <laughs> I scared, nearly scared the death out of the man. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Too late. Don't be afraid, Zachariah, for I have come to tell you that God has heard your prayer. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Your persistent prayers have been heard. Who is this John, by the way? Well, none other than John the Baptist. The very one who would proclaim the coming of Jesus as his ministry began. It's what we spent all of last year, all of this year, that's now past us and behind us, going through, going through the life of Christ. So first we know from verse 13, your persistent prayers have been heard. So we know that Elizabeth and her husband never stopped praying. Even after they were physically unable to conceive, they kept praying. What is impossible with man is not impossible with God. It's a mark of wisdom. Even in all her pain, even in all her disappointment, even in all her dashed hopes, even as she was getting older and older, she kept on praying. It's a mark of wisdom. And she waited on God's timing. When Elizabeth did give birth to her son, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had blessed her. 
You want God's blessing? Then you need to follow Elizabeth's example, and you need to make wise decisions. The Lord had blessed her and shared, and they shared her joy. But God's plan was bigger than Elizabeth's. Elizabeth just wanted a baby. God says, no, you're going to be the mother of the greatest human being who ever lived. That's what Jesus called John the Baptist. He said, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. All of Elizabeth's life, she had been waiting and praying for something to happen in her life that hadn't happened. Maybe you've been waiting and praying for something to happen in your life, and it hasn't happened yet. It just tells me that God has something bigger and better in store for you, and you need to be patient, and you need to trust God. Anyone who's a parent of teenage children or those who are older and you see them sometimes walk away from following God, it's tough to trust. It's tough to wait on God and to be patient. Now, here's the choice that Elizabeth made that made her a wise woman. Elizabeth was wise because she chose, chose to trust God's plan and his timing and to be better and not bitter. So instead of being bitter, choose to be better. She chose wisely. It was decision to trust God's plan. Now, the second wise woman, of course, is Mary. And we find her story in Luke chapter 1, starting in about verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, remember, Mary and Elizabeth are related, which means, by the way, that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Mary was greatly troubled. And so the first thing we notice is that Mary was a little frightened, maybe a little confused. This was her initial reaction, fear and confusion. And she tried to figure out what this greeting might mean. So the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. But Mary's got questions. She's like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What? How is this going to be? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. What do you suppose Mary's reaction was to that news? I'm going to be supernaturally pregnant by the Most High God. You have to wonder if she thought through the next nine months. Who's going to believe this story? In those days, men and women married very young. Mary was most likely a teenager. When she hears this news, what is going through her mind that she's going to be pregnant? And she's filled with fear and concern. <laughs> Who wouldn't be frightened if an angel showed up? I certainly would be. But this is what the angel says. And it's even more scary. Mary, you're going to become pregnant. You've never known a man and the Father is going to be the Most High God. Who's going to believe this story? Evelyn, my six-year-old granddaughter, asked her older sister, Leah, to play with her. Leah's about 15. She said, Evelyn, yes, but only if you don't boss me around. You know how six-year-olds can be. 
Evelyn agreed. And as they played, Evelyn was being the mom, and she asked Aaliyah a question. And when Aaliyah answered, Evelyn gasped when she said, Aaliyah, that's exactly what I wanted you to say. Did the Holy Spirit tell you to say that? Gabriel, Gabriel the archangel had just given Mary some amazing news that God and the Holy Spirit had just told him. So imagine all the possible fears going through her mind. First, there's the fear of criticism. How am I going to tell mom? Hey, mom, guess what happened to me today? What about dad and the family? What about Joseph? What about the community? Maybe it's the reason that she went to see Elizabeth at her home. If anyone was going to understand, it would be as Elizabeth. And she did. The scripture records that as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, John the Baptist wept for joy in her very womb. You thought your baby could kick. And there was the fear of the supernatural magnitude of the baby that she was carrying, the very Son of God. How in the world am I supposed to be the mother of God's Son? I'm, 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 not, I'm inadequate. I, I'm, I'm just a peasant girl from a small village. Why me of all people? But she's wise. She's wise, and in verse 37, Gabriel says, Mary, nothing is impossible with God, for no word from God will ever fail. And it is at this point that Mary chooses faith over fear. When she says, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. She's got to be thinking, God loves me. God cares for me. He chose me. Nothing's impossible with God. Okay, I can handle this. Not because of anything that I have in my own strength, but because God is with me, because God loves me, because God has a plan for me. He's not going to overwhelm me with something that I can't handle. And so based on that fact that nothing's impossible with God, and she's going to help her and love her, Mary was wise because she chose faith over fear. Now we come to the third wise woman in the story of Christmas, and her name is Anna. Anna is in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in Luke 2.22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Because the law that God gave Moses, the Jewish law, said every firstborn, animal or human, was to be dedicated male back to God. Now here's the first part of the story before we get to Anna. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. It's quite a promise. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, God's Spirit prompted Simeon to go in to the temple courts. Now this message isn't about Simeon, but I want to make this point. When God's Spirit prompts you to do something, it's time for you to run, not wait. Because you're about to have the biggest blessing of your life. If Simeon had not listened to the inner spirit prompting him to the temple, he may have had to wait even longer for that promise to be fulfilled. Some of you have missed amazing blessings. I've missed amazing blessings in my life because I didn't listen to the prompting of God. So he goes into the temple, and in the temple he finds Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And in verse 28, he says this, he took the baby up in his arms, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen salvation, which you have 
prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You want to see what God is like? Then look at Jesus. God sent Jesus to be the light of the world, to let us all know what he is really like. This is the reason for the season. It's the reason we celebrate hope. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Now, Joseph and Mary just stood there speechless. They were amazed at what was being said about this baby. When the Bible says Simon praised God, the word that he's actually using there is the word eulogio. It's where we get eulogy from. Now, eulogy is something you usually say at someone's death. But here Simon is giving a eulogy about Jesus when he's just being born on the front end of his life. A eulogy literally means to speak a word of blessing, to say something good. And he says this little baby is going to be the savior of the whole world. Now in verse 36, we come to Anna. Just a few short verses is all there is about Anna. And it says this, There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Anna was a prophetess and she was very old. She'd been a widow most of her life because her husband had died after being married for only seven years. So as a young bride, she loses the love of her life. And she's now 84 years old. She spent maybe 60 years alone as a widow. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She never left the temple courts. She stayed there day and night, worshiping God, with praying and fasting. What do you do with a blocked love? When all of a sudden, who you want to love is not there. You redirect it. When you've got a blocked love, you redirect it. Anna redirected her love. And she says, I'm going to redirect my love toward God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love people. I'm going to love those that come to this temple. That's going to be my life, and that's going to be my ministry. She stayed there day and night, worshiping God, with prayer and fasting. Now, just as Simon was dedicating the baby, Anna walked by, and she pauses to listen. Then Anna joins in praying for the baby, and she starts thanking God for sending a Savior. Now, here's the key to her life. From then on, from that moment, when she saw Jesus, from then on, Anna talked about Jesus to anyone who was looking for salvation. Anna was wise because she made a decision. And the decision she made was to choose to focus on God's presence instead of her pain. She said, I've lost the love of my life. I'm alone. But I'm not going to focus on my pain. I'm going to focus my life on God's presence. I'm going to worship Him, love Him, pray all the time, thank Him for the time that I had. That's wise. That's wisdom. Are you focusing on God? Are you telling other people about Jesus? Worship team, you can make your way back up. In the greatest message of hope that it is the greatest message of hope that I've ever preached, uh, preached. Paul says these words to Timothy. He says, "How true it is, and how I long that everyone should know it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I was the greatest of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as an example to show everyone how patient He is, and even the worst sinners, so that others would realize they too can have everlasting life." Glory and honor to God forever and ever. He is the king of the ages, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God and full of wisdom. Amen. Now all three of these wise women had heartaches. 
Elizabeth was married, a married woman unable to have a child. Mary is a single woman with a pregnancy she can't explain apart from the supernatural. And Anna is a widow who spent most of her life without husband and family. Each could have been overcome by the circumstances, but they all made choices, wise choices. Christmas is about hope and the ability in Jesus to rise above your circumstances. Will you choose to trust God's plan and his timing? And instead of being bitter, be better. Will you choose faith instead of your fears? And will you choose to focus on God's presence instead of your pain? For those who believe God's promise promises to fill you with your, His Spirit and to never leave you, He will walk through the darkest of your days and shine the light of His presence on you. Faith Fellowship, know that God is for you, not against you. Have a good day in Jesus. We'll end with a song.